and thanks for joining us on Chicago Tonight. I'm Brandis Friedman. Here's what we're looking at. The city's controversial ShotSpotter contract will come to an end. Our Spotlight Politics team unpacks Mayor Johnson's decision. Questions about age and cognitive function are once again surfacing in the presidential race. What you should know about brain health as we get older. I only make two kinds. I make a rose and plum jam. You like it or don't? <laughs> and on this Fat Tuesday, a Chicago-area baker shows us how she makes hundreds of ponchki at home. And now to some of today's top stories. Mayor Brandon Johnson is keeping a campaign promise and announcing the city will not renew its contract for ShotSpotter. That's the controversial gunshot detection system made by company Sound Thinking and used by the Chicago Police Department. The contract expires Friday, but the technology won't be decommissioned until late September. In a statement, the mayor's office says, quote, in advance of the decommissioning in September, the Chicago Police Department will work to revamp operations within the strategic decision support centers, implement new training and further develop response models to gun violence that ultimately reduce shootings and increase accountability. Of course, we'll have more on this with our Spotlight Politics team in a few minutes. Airport passengers might have noticed several hundred flight attendants picketing today as part of a national day of action calling for higher pay. Half the time that we're at work, we're not getting paid. During the time that we're boarding, we're not getting paid. The only time that we get paid is when the door is closed to the time that the door opens. Flight attendants sit in airports for hours on end in between flights, and during that time, they're not getting paid. It's time to get paid for all the time that we're on duty. Rallies and pickets took place at 30 airports across the country today, including O'Hare, as three separate unions representing flight attendants say they're demanding new contracts and higher wages. Representatives for Council 8 says they've been in negotiation with United Airlines for two and a half years. The groups argue they haven't been rewarded for working through the pandemic, while pilots won huge pay raises last year. Northwestern's former football coach is pushing for a speedy trial in his wrongful termination lawsuit against the university. Attorneys for Pat Fitzgerald told a Cook County judge they'd like a December trial because the former Big Ten coach needs the trial to, quote, exonerate him in order to get another college coaching job in the 2025 season. The judge did not set a trial date, but urged attorneys for both Fitzgerald and the university to settle matters on their own. Fitzgerald was fired last July following reports of a years-long hazing scandal that allegedly took place under his watch. Up next, what you should know about brain health as we age, right after this. Chicago Tonight is made possible in part by the Alexandra and John Nichols family, the Jim and Kay Maybe family, the Polk Brothers Foundation, and the support of these donors. Questions about age and memory have resurfaced in the U.S. presidential election. This in light of a special counsel report that refers to President Joe Biden as a, quote, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. Biden is 81, and his chief opponent, former President Donald Trump, is 77. But older age isn't necessarily the only indicator of brain cognition. Joining us are Molly Mather, assistant professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine, 
and Jay Olshansky, Professor of Public Health at the University of Illinois Chicago. Thanks to you both for joining us. Jay, old age, often cited as a concern, especially as of late uh, for some voters when it comes to the presidency. Is this a valid concern? Yes, I'm going to be honest. Uh, there's no question. As you get older, the risk of things going wrong rises. The risk of death doubles about every seven years. So you can't deny the fact that there are issues associated with growing older. It's just that we don't all grow old at the same rate. We can't treat everyone exactly the same way. So, yeah, it's legitimate. But perhaps we have to be cautious about what's going on with the two candidates. Yes, there are different issues as, as we age and different factors that impact them. We're going to get into all that a little bit more. Molly, um, when we expand this beyond the U.S. presidency, of course, and the age mm -hmm. of the president, how common are cognitive changes in older adults? Yeah, so cognitive changes are quite common um, as we age. But for the most part, you know, those are relatively minor. Um, Honestly, from the time that we're about in our 30s, things tend to decline a little bit um, over the years, but those are certain types of cognitive abilities, things like being able to think quickly um, on your feet, um, being able to tend to multiple pieces of information, manage complex situations. Um, those things tend to you know, see a little bit of decline when you look just cross-sectionally, you know, 40-year-olds versus 50 versus 60. Um, that being said, there's more uh, variability as people age. So there's people who do much better than the average, much worse than the average, um, and that increases over time. So really, it's you're kind of missing a lot of the nuance if you just look at kind of the average trajectory for anyone in their 80s. What does cognitive decline look like in older adults? I mean, it, it generally is a bit of a loss of cognitive efficiency. So, you know, being able to remember the phone number that someone says to you um, long enough to put it in the phone, that's something people complain about a lot. Um, we can't do that now. I can't do that either. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's really the stuff that, that's kind of online thinking, being able to respond quickly, manage, you know, complicated I, I think it's important to ask the flip side of that yeah. question, right? So you only asked about cognitive decline. Mm -hmm. There are things that improve as we get older. There's crystallized intelligence, so the ability to make uh, decisions uh, improves yeah. based on acquired knowledge and wisdom. Um, so it's not unidirectional. Not everyone's going downhill. You know, as people get older, they make, often make better decisions. Mm -hmm. We hear talk of uh, super-agers. Mm -hmm. What is that? And are either of these presidential candidates <laughs> also a candidate for that? <laughs> Jay, or Molly, who's Well, I think candidates? Molly's actually I'll better qualified one, yeah. for this. So um, where I work, the Meslin Center, has been studying what we call super-agers for decades, well before I worked there. Um, and... What that means is sort of a specific definition that the Northwestern Superaging Program had come up with, which is people who have you know normal functioning, there's no concerns that they're below average for anything, um, and then they actually have better than average memory. Their memory is as good as people who are in their 50s or 60s. So it's sort of the specific um, strength in memory that we see. And this came out of observations of people who actually do quite well um, into their 80s and beyond. Um, and also um, some findings about the brains of, of many people who are in their 80s that actually look much healthier than, than maybe you would expect. So um, this is kind of a special group, an extra um, superior aging group, so to speak. Um, 
and they're they're very fascinating. <laughs> I'll I'm tell sure you that. Yeah. Uh, Jay, what can we gather then about how Joe Biden and Donald Trump uh, are aging based on what we know about their medical records and history? Well, I can tell you, my colleagues and I have e examined their medical records mm -hmm. in detail. We published an article exploring uh, what the records tell us. Mm -hmm. The medical records are crystal clear. Both of them, Biden and Trump, exhibit characteristics of excellent aging. Now, uh, Donald Trump does have has he has some risk factors. Uh, he's obese. He has a family history of Alzheimer's disease. Biden is practically taking no medications. He exercises. He is not like the average 81-year-old. Molly, what are some of the factors that help, um, that can determine how someone ages? Yeah, I mean, that honestly is the big question that we don't have the answer to of how someone gets on one trajectory or another. Um, but if you look at characteristics and traits of people who tend to age well, they tend to, you know, be relatively healthy physically. Um, one thing that we really see a lot in our superagers is um, being active, being engaged in whatever it is that they find most meaningful and interesting. So it's not the same thing for every person. It's maybe community engagement for some people, or it's very strong friendships or family relationships for another. Um, they tend to have good, positive social relationships. So that's a protective factor as well, we think. Um, there's a whole lot of stuff we don't know yet. <laughs> there are also the social determinants of health, Absolutely, though. Yeah. Uh, uh, demographics, mm -hmm. um, age, tell, how, do, how does that play in? Yeah, I mean, for one thing, just um, you know, any experiences of discrimination or uh, difficulty accessing health care, there's a whole lot of reasons that health disparities arise in different populations. Those things tend to put you at higher risk for various cardiovascular problems, which also then put you at higher risk of having brain disease later in life or developing um, neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's. Um, stress is not good for your brain in general, so chronic stress can really kind of way on, on how you're doing and, and have negative outcomes. Which um, people who are lower income tend to have absolutely higher yeah. levels of stress. Um, Jay, of course, you know, as questions about age come up in this election cycle and how old is too old to run for president, mandatory retirement mm -hmm. ages um, are not unheard of in some professions. Pilots, for example, are required to retire at 65. Uh, there's been talk about pushing that to 67. What's your take on a mandatory retirement age for anything? Well, for most things, I would be dead set against a mandatory retirement age, really, for anything. Um, I mean, look, we don't all age at the same rate. Some people make it out to their 80s and 90s, and they're functioning perfectly well. They can be president, CEO, your physician, whatever. Uh, and some people can't do well in their 40s and 50s. So, you know, drawing conclusions about everyone Based, about a, based on a subgroup of the population that's exhibiting bad characteristics, I think is a bad idea. We were actually talking about this in the room before we came in here. It's the analogy that you used, which oh, yeah. I liked, was, oh, yeah, teenagers uh, aren't really good drivers, uh, so should we ban all teenagers from driving? No, I agree with you. They don't always make the best decisions. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Young. And, and speaking of decision-making, what I'd like to see, I don't know if you're a fan of the X-Men series. The X-Men series is about a group of mostly young people with superpowers that make mm -hmm. bad decisions. <laughs> I would love to see uh, a new X-Men that is an older individual mm -hmm. um, that uses wisdom and knowledge for making good decisions you hear that, Marvel? As, as a new superpower. <laughs> I think Marvel is in charge of X-Men, aren't yes. they? <laughs> well, and it goes back to the, the whole saying, youth being wasted on the young, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're, they're physically able and... Um, 
We've got about a couple of seconds, a couple of seconds left. Molly, um, what impact does, you know, working much later in life have on health and well-being as well? I think it depends on the person. Um, if it's a good, meaningful position and something that brings someone, um, like, positive aspects for their, their life and their functioning, I don't see any reason that people can't keep working. Um, on the other hand, if it's a very stressful job, then... You know, it's it's just another kind of... Might be time to find something else. Yeah, yeah. 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 All right, that's where we'll have to leave it. Molly Mather and Jay Olshansky, thanks so much. Thank you. Up next, the city will not renew its contract for ShotSpotter and Michael Madigan's former aide gets prison time. Our Spotlight Politics on that and much more. Stay with us. Happy Fat Tuesday, or as some Chicago residents like to say, Happy Ponchki Day. Chances are you've already eaten some Ponchki today, but have you ever wondered what goes into making the fried Polish donut? Producer Nicole Cardos went inside a local baker's home to see how she whips together hundreds of Ponchki this time of year. My name is Agnieszka Hurtado. Everybody call me Agnes, and I'm a baker. I've been baking for 14 years now. I'm from east of Poland by Lublin. U.S. is my home, but I still have a Polish background, and I still remember, you know, things when my grandma used to make, and Ponczki are one of them, and that's why I keep making. I love it. I did have a bakery in 2010. Uh, I closed in 2013. I basically didn't want to do baking anymore after I closed my store. And then just people keep asking me to, to bake stuff. And slowly I just start baking for people and the business just start picking up. I make sourdough bread. That's my favorite thing to make. I love to make tarts. I make pavlova. I make cakes. I mean, you name it, I make it. Different countries have different sweets, but I think Polnczki are like Polish. Like, that's our thing, you know. They're really good. I only make two kinds. I make a rose and plum jam. I know people make different kinds. They ask me for different kinds. I don't make it. That's the way I make it. That's it. You like it or don't. If I make punch I don't sleep. <laughs> I will not sleep for like 36 hours or something. Basically, from Wednesday morning to Thursday afternoon, I, I don't sleep. How many ponchki do you think you make around this time of year? I don't know, a couple hundred or maybe, I don't know, 1,500, 2,000 maybe. I just make ponchki only during the carnival. So basically, I'm just going to make on Thursday, Tuesday, and I'm done for whole year. I'm not going to make ponchki for whole year. 
because we're Polish and we eat them more on Thursday. They say you should always eat punchki for Fat Thursday because they bring you luck for the whole year. So the more you eat, the more luck you have. <laughs> so, yeah. And as she mentioned, Agnes Hurtado is done making ponchki for the year, but you can still place orders for bread, tarts, and cake. You can visit our website for more information, where you'll also find Hurtado's step-by-step -step guide to making ponchki at home. It is all at WTTW.com news. Looks delicious. Okay, the mayor fulfills a major campaign promise. Former chief of staff to Illinois, House Speaker Michael Madigan is sentenced for lying to a grand jury and the question of who gets the final say on holding police accountable for serious misconduct returns to city council. And returning now with more is our Spotlight Politics team, Amanda Vinicky, Heather Sharon, and Paris Schutz. Hey, gang. Hey. So as we heard at the top of the show, of course, Mayor Johnson canceling the ShotSpotter contract. Uh, but the city is going to keep using it until September 22nd. Heather, why are they keeping it through the summer when the contract expires now? Well, the mayor's statement announcing the cancellation of the contract didn't really get into that. But what's happening this summer? The Democratic National Convention. And I think that the way ShotSpotter has been integrated into the police department's operations is going to take a little while to sort out. Those alerts go into what's called the Strategic Decision Support Center. So the city is going to have to figure out how to operate those centers, which are designed to respond to crime and to track crime without using shot spotter. Also, the summer, as we all know, is typically the most violent part of the year. And it's quite possible that if there was an upsurge in crime this summer and if shot spotter wasn't operating, the mayor would face a significant amount of criticism. This is a way to like have his punch key and eat it too. Oh, I like I what you too. did there. <laughs> Happy Mardi Gras, everybody. <laughs> Paris, uh, this, of course, as Amanda said, you know, this fulfills a major campaign promise. Um, but why was ditching this so important to the mayor uh, and a lot of the well, progressive activists? A lot of back him. progressive activists going all the way back to the administration of Rahm Emanuel have said that this led to over policing in communities of color, uh, that it put uh, folks of color in a bad position. And there are many studies that indicate that. Uh, ShotSpotter is not accurate, that the vast majority of times ShotSpotter triggered police response, there was no actual arrest, there was no actual incident. Then there's the cases of, you know, 4th of July, does ShotSpotter know whether it's fireworks or, uh, or gunshot? Now, we should, we should say that the, the police and defenders of ShotSpotter say that's not true, that actually it's very accurate and it is uh, an important tool in public safety that police have integrated into their overall toolkit. So uh, it's not universally accepted, but a lot of these progressive groups cited that data that said it, it just didn't work most of the time. There's also the criticism that police officers, upon hearing that alert, go charging into mm -hmm. a community expecting to respond to gunfire um, and react um, as if it had happened when maybe gunfire actually didn't go down. Um, Heather, any reaction from Sound Thinking, the company that makes ShotSpotter? Well, I didn't get a response to my request for comment, but the stock market certainly had a reaction. It, its stock dropped more than 18% on the day, which brings the company's value, according to the stock market, down by more than 50% since Mayor Brandon Johnson's election. A clear sign that Chicago is a crucial market for this company. And you can even know that because it rebranded after Johnson's election from ShotSpotter to Sound Thinking and began talking more about how this technology could be used to respond to the victims of gun violence as opposed to sort of law enforcement.
Uh, Police Superintendent Larry Snelling has publicly backed ShotSpotter as a, a crucial tool against gun violence. Do we know if anything will be used to replace it, Heather, and how is this money going to be reused? So this contract, over the life of it since 2018, has cost taxpayers almost $50 million. So in the whole police department budget of nearly $2 billion, maybe not a huge amount, but still enough money to significantly add to the city's budget for alternate 911 response or violence prevention. So it's not clear how all of that is going to shake out, but there's really no other company that works this kind of technology out there. So this was really sort of all or nothing. And the mayor says nothing in September. Okay. So September, we'll see, I suppose, or hopefully before then. Amanda, longtime chief of staff to former Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan, was yesterday sentenced for obstruction of justice and perjury for lying to a grand jury uh, that was investigating Madigan. What was his sentence? And of course, we're talking about Tim Mapes here. What was his sentence and what was he found to have lied about? Mapes will be going to prison for two and a half years. And this was despite a lot of very prominent folks, although we don't quite know who. We just know that there are a lot of who's who that had written in on his behalf acting asking for more leniency, Mapes himself saying that he had worked for the people of Illinois, wanted to do right by them, was aggrieved that this was something that made people believe less in government. But what did he do? Well, what the judge described this as misguided loyalty, saying that even when Mapes had immunity to tell all to a grand jury, so could have said anything without threat of prosecution, that he lied, that he continually said, I don't recall, when it was very clear that he should recall, bright guy, no for, as he even put it, keeping the trains running on time in Springfield, that he did not tell them the truth in a way to, it seems, protect Madigan, even though Madigan, by the way, had ousted Mapes from that chief of staff position that he was in for so long in 2018, kind of kicked him to the curb. Paris, does this give any sort of uh, indication or implication about what Madigan's own federal racketeering and bribery trial will, will look like, which is slated to begin in October? Yeah, and by the way, and that was for Me Too issues. That was for Mapes' handling of Me Too issues in that office. But right, nothing with corruption or ethics right, in that, uh, this sort of stuff. So, so the Madigan team, they're, 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 their focus is dead set on the Supreme Court right now. And that's why it's delayed until uh, October, because the Supreme Court's going to take up a case out of Indiana that could redefine the bribery statute. And so they they think that this case in Indiana is similar to what Madigan's being charged, and the Supreme Court says, nope, that wasn't bribery, what this uh, small-town mayor in Indiana did, then they think they have a pretty good chance. And then some of these other comed, uh, convicted uh, felons, maybe they want to try for a retrial or an appeal in their case. But no. To answer your question, they're O for everything in, in these ComEd-related trials. So, no, that does not bode well for Madigan at all. And, of course, to be clear, it is the U.S. Supreme Court US they're Supreme waiting Court. To, to hear yeah. from on this issue. Um, Heather, the issue of arbitration for uh, police officers accused of serious misconduct expected to be back on the agenda for city council on Thursday. Seems like it keeps coming up. That what sure are we expecting does. this time? Well, this will at least seems to be the definitive vote on whether the city is going to sort of start what promises to be a huge legal fight over whether police officers accused of significant misconduct that could lead to their termination or a suspension of up to a year could have their cases decided by an arbitrator behind closed doors. Right now, the rules call for those cases to be decided by the Chicago Police Board, which meets in public at meetings that we can go to and that members of the public can go to. The Chicago Police Union, the largest police union, says that is not appropriate. Police officers should be able to choose that discipline process, just like every other city worker. The mayor and at least 
30 city council members have to agree with that position or this will upend the way police discipline has happened in Chicago for the last more than half century. Paris, any sign of an end to this impasse or who, over who will ultimately get to decide who holds cops accountable? Well, it's, I mean, it seems like the courts will ultimately decide what the end of this impasse is. And the FOP certainly believes that they are on the right side of the law here, that the courts will rule in their favor because this arbitrator ruled that uh, this is consistent with Illinois labor law. Other public Illinois employees get to have this kind of arbitration process. Why should it be different for police? Of course, the argument is because there are no other public employees other than state troopers or, or what have you that hold people's lives uh, in their hands, potentially. Uh, Amanda, deadline to introduce bills in Springfield was Friday. Anything of note to report? And oh my why gosh. so slow in 45 seconds? Brandis, there are so many bills. <laughs> I'm hesitant to name any particular one because there's just way too many. Pick an interest, there's a bill to match it. But why haven't any been acted on? Well, that's because the big bill hasn't yet been introduced. You have some significant things that can skip that deadline, things like, oh, wait, the budget, which is oh, really a layout of the state's priorities. So we will soon be hearing from Pritzker what his spending plan is. That is going to set the agenda. Why haven't we otherwise seen a lot of action next? activity in Springfield. There hasn't been a lot of session because legislators are at home gearing up for that March 19th primary. They want to be in their districts, not in the state capitol. Okay, so hopefully we'll hear more after that. that is, <laughs> I'm sure we will. All right, that's Spotlight, everybody. Amanda, Heather, Paris, thanks so much. And that is our show for this Tuesday night. Don't forget to stay connected with us by signing up for our daily briefing. And you can get Chicago Tonight streamed on Facebook, YouTube, and our website. You can also get the show via podcast and the PBS video app. And join us tomorrow night at 5.30 and 10 for Chicago Tonight Black Voices. A look inside the newly revamped Remova Theater ahead of an upcoming concert with Chance the Rapper. And Chicago poet Jay Ivey joins us fresh off his latest Grammy win. Now, for all of us here at Chicago Tonight, I'm Brandis Friedman. Thanks for watching. Stay healthy and safe, and have a good night. Closed captioning is made possible by Robert A. Clifford and Clifford Law Offices, a Chicago personal injury and wrongful death firm that supports free educational initiatives in the legal profession.